My name is Harrison Wheeler, and you're listening to Technically Speaking. This is episode one. The guest on today's show is Noah Bond, user researcher at LinkedIn. We'll be going over a few questions from aspiring UX designers over a range of topics that include tools, research processes, and career navigation. Just to kind of start off, my name is Harrison Wheeler. I'm a design manager at LinkedIn, and joining me is everyone. My name is Noah Bond. I'm a UX researcher at LinkedIn along with Harrison. You know, I think in this time of, you know, these stay at home calls and just the coronavirus, we're going to be seeing a lot more of these opportunities to collect online. You know, it's, it's actually been very interesting. A lot of like my interactions, I've actually connected with folks that are further away more often than, than not. And, you know, I think if this was being done in the traditional sense, especially in the Bay Area, you know, there'd be a lot of logistics around just getting like meeting rooms, budgeting for meals. And that's not to say that we're cheap, but being able to connect for free has its benefits, right? (laughs) So we'll, we'll go ahead and get started with that. Put together a little slide that's about 10 to 15 minutes before we start getting into the Q&A again. And I'm, I'm happy you guys signed up. Obviously, some of you guys have opted in to receiving the, the email uh, newsletters I attempt to write and hopefully have some, some information that you guys can take with you. Um, on the sign-up sheet, I did ask a, a question in terms of just understanding where folks are in their UX journey. And I'll just kind of highlight what that looks like. So 18% of you all are, are students, while 34% of you guys are looking for opportunities. On that same extent, 21% of you guys are transitioning to UX, which is great. I mean, this is a theme that we see throughout um, designers um, at LinkedIn and across the board. And a quarter of you all, 25%, are currently employed in some sort of UX function, whether it be in-house or through agency. So as I mentioned before, I'm a design manager, UX design manager here at LinkedIn. Uh, I've been here for about three years, and I manage a team between Mountain View, San Francisco, and New York. Uh, we, we mainly focus on our enterprise platform product called LinkedIn Marketing Solutions, which allows our businesses to connect with our members. I live in the Bay Area, San Jose to be exact. I've been out here for about seven years. Pretty great, pretty expensive, but uh, you know, I guess that's the price you pay for living in California. Um, before I was at LinkedIn, I was at a company called Base CRM. Again, this was a, an enterprise uh, software-focused company that focused on sales specifically. So, you know, there's, there's obviously a connection between the sales pipeline and marketing pipeline. So there's a lot of in-depth knowledge and experiences that I was able to kind of bring into LinkedIn. And also, you know, it was a startup company. So, you know, we went through a period of rapid growth. And specifically with this, our engineering team was located in Poland. So I actually went to Poland quite a bit, which could be, uh, you know, a book or movie within itself. We'll have more opportunities to connect uh, on that at some point. And I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So go Bucks. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar where Milwaukee is, but it's about 90 miles north of Chicago. And it's actually really where I got my, my start kind of going into design. And, you know, additionally, I had Midwest. So uh, I went to school at the University of Iowa and located in Iowa City. I lived there for about seven years. Uh, after I moved out of Iowa, I lived in Chicago for a very brief span of 10 months. And a lot of my family is, is located, you know, in the Quad Cities as well as St. Louis, Missouri. And again, web design is how I got my start. So very simple back then. I was doing a lot of programming in HTML to make me sound, I'm not even old, but it makes me sound old, but this is before CSS was even invented. 
um, or JavaScript or many of those front-end languages. And with that, I'll go ahead and, and pass it over to, to Noah. All right. Hey, everybody. How you doing? My, my, my photo is decidedly less badass than Harrison's, but I uh, uh, hope you appreciate the bow tie. So as like Harrison, I'm also at LinkedIn. I have uh, been at LinkedIn for a couple of years now. I don't know if you want to hit, hit the next slide there. Oh, uh, yeah. I've been at LinkedIn as UX researcher for a couple of years. And uh, before this came from a startup background, which I'll talk about. But I, I live in San Francisco currently. I was actually raised in the Bay Area. I grew up in Santa Cruz. My mom lives in the East Bay now. My friend's out here. This is home. And it's been a whole journey to get to where I am today in UX research. Uh, I talk about this a lot because Harrison mentioned a lot of people are trying to transition in the UX. I worked at five different restaurants earlier in my career. I was a librarian for a bit. Uh, I worked as a telemarketer. I, I've done everything and I've like definitely hustled to get where I am today. And it's not a linear path. So don't expect that uh, of yourselves either. As part of that journey, I worked for a lot of startups I mentioned. Uh, so before LinkedIn, I was at four startups. Most recently, I led growth marketing at Lime, the, the electric scooter company. And uh, I joined them before we raised any money through our Series C. And that, that kind of growth, you learn a lot. And one thing I learned is I don't want to be in growth marketing anymore. And uh, that sort of facilitated transition into UX. I also invest. So um, I invest in startups, but I also invest in community. My, my mom is Native American. My dad is from Kenya. And so I spend a lot of my time working with young folks in those communities um, and helping them with their careers and just in life. And lastly, I put UX research down here. This is a big part of my life, even outside of work. I think of myself in a lot of ways as an anthropologist, a design anthropologist. I'm passionate about understanding people, their behaviors, their needs, and uh, building great products for them. So yeah, that's it from me. I appreciate that, Noah. You know, that obviously has a, a lot more color to you know, I guess us as presenters, considering uh, this is a lot of time, this is the first time a lot of us are, are meeting online. And now that we're in, again, now that we're in this sort of this period of physically distancing ourselves and staying at home, uh, this next little piece is just like five things, five of our favorite things to do during this time, right? And so uh, hands down, number one is cooking. With restaurants being closed, there's not so much going out anymore. It's a great way to save money. Uh, so I've been doing that at least once or twice a week, three times a week, more than in the past. And Netflix, I'm sure a lot of you guys are, are doing quite a bit of Netflix watching, HBO binge watching. I'm, I'm kind of afraid that I'm going to run out of things that I'm interested in watching. So feel free to share any new things that you're looking at. Uh, I'm excited about the new season of Westworld. And I think Insecure is coming out pretty soon. Peloton is, is also something that I've started to get back into. I think Peloton does a great way of just marrying uh, obviously, the, the physical aspect of working out along with really nailing it with, with friends and family. I'm a pretty competitive person. I'm pretty bad at Peloton. So if we connect on that at some point, you will probably be running laps around me per se. Um, and then as crazy as it sounds, going outside. Ironically, it's actually been pretty cold. For being springtime, it's been pretty cold and rainy. Um, so anytime I have an opportunity to go outside, go for a walk, break up the monotony in terms of just like um, our day-to-day, -day, it really helps uh, just getting outside, getting some fresh oxygen. Uh, some other things that we're doing are virtual happy hour. So I know 
a lot of folks are starting to FaceTime a lot more with their with their loved ones, um, even coworkers. Uh, and it's actually all inclusive. You don't have to be drinking alcohol. You can be drinking boba. You can drink tea. No one's going to judge. So you don't have to deal with loud bar music. And, and you can start playing even some online games with folks. We, we actually uh, have been doing quite a bit of Jackbox. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's a pretty uh, easy game where we can just add on their phone and stream. How about you, Noah? Yeah, uh, going to the virtual happy hours first. A lot of my coworkers are just like holding up their pets or like their children <laughs> yeah. to to put on display. That's been really fun. Yeah, so Harrison, I joke he, his uh, his hobbies seem a lot cooler than mine. I put down reading uh, as the first thing, so you know I'm a nerd. But really, this just relates to storytelling in general. I think storytelling in many mediums is an important part of the human experience. But a few years ago, I got really uh, sort of motivated to read more. And so I, I read about a book a week now. So hoping to keep that consistent. I actually think I'll, I'll probably hit more than that now that we're all at home for the foreseeable future. Related to storytelling, songwriting, I have played music my whole life. Um, I'm in an R&B duo with actually another uh, person who works at LinkedIn. And we, we play shows coffee shops and things like that. I think that everybody needs a creative outlet. Music has always been mine. And Afrofuturism, all right, this is just really, uh, back to the nerd part, I love sci-fi in books, but also movies and television. And I just like seeing Black people in the future. We're existing, we're there, we made it that far. We're like going interstellar. I'm all about that. Also related to this, I mentioned my dad is from Kenya. Um, I spent a lot of time with my family in East Africa, visiting, but also investing and working in the tech community in Nairobi. Um, that's a big passion of mine. And the last thing here, so Harrison had a bunch of active things. I don't actually play basketball, but I, I watch it uh, a whole bunch and been a lifelong Warriors fan before it was cool to say that. So we'll continue to be uh, as we work out these injuries. And I guess, you know, the season's over anyways, but uh, I'm, I'm here for y'all. Yeah, my, I, I saw my dentist before all this happened. She gave me a list of like 30 Bollywood movies to watch. So I'm on oh, a Bollywood nice. bench right now. Nice. Yeah, what, what is everyone binging? Write that, write that in the chat. You know, just got wrapped up with Love is Blind, and that is quite the train wreck. Narcos. Shows, movies make me sleepy. That, that's not bad, necessarily. Lots of naps happening these days. Binging on cookbooks and Bon Appetit mags. I I finally opened up my my the cookbooks my mom got me years ago, and I tried to make uh, ratatouille, and it was so so. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, it's always tough when, it, when you get this like new new recipe and you try to test it out, and it just does not. It's very underwhelming. Yeah, I have respect for chefs. Yeah, chefs that don't taste their food and it still tastes great, right? Yeah, I think I, I read about one chef who lost his um, sense of taste. Uh, I think he had cancer, like mouth cancer, and, it's, and he still has like a Michelin star restaurant. That's wild. Yeah. All right, here we got a question. How do you think COVID-19 will affect hiring in the very near future? I'm graduating from a UX UI bootcamp next week, and I'm very worried. It's a great question. Do you yeah. want to do that one here, soon? Yeah, for sure. I, I really don't know for sure what is going to be be happening. 
what you're probably going to see regardless, I think we're probably going to go through a economic downturn of sorts. So you're, you're not, I think around the startup space, you might see companies really start to struggle. Some of these larger companies that have extended coffers, you may see continued hiring or reinvestment in resources, right? As of right now, for example, LinkedIn is actually still hiring for a number of user experience designers. Um, we could probably look at companies like Facebook, you know, your Twitters are probably doing the same. So I think larger, more stable companies that have been around for quite some time will likely have some sort of stability during this. But we have yet to see. I don't think, I don't think a lot of this COVID-19 has really caught up to the market yet, where we're starting to see freezes or layoffs yet. Nana, did you have anything there, Ron? Yeah, I mean, I would just agree with you on that. And I, I guess for larger companies that have, have the budget and sort of can weather the storm, I, I know at least now UX research is needed more than ever. We're trying to figure out, all right, how do we build products and add value to people in this climate and like under these circumstances? How can we help people get jobs? How can we give people uh, the skills they need, help people get the skills they need, make the connections they need to get through all of this? So. These are questions that are actively on our mind and we're sort of like diving into now and the research team is sort of has its full attention on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. This other one here, um, Harrison, you mentioned you enjoy investing in your community and you also mentioned that this time has made uh, businesses speed up, is expanding at scale. So for like online uh, businesses, is there a way we could invest in our communities right now as designers to help the small businesses also expand, not go under? just thought of this. Yeah, why don't you take that first and then I'll, I'll follow up. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think now it's super important to invest in your communities, especially folks who might not, if you have a stable job, you're in a position to help out and you can, now is the time. I personally have reached out to my community saying, if you need help uh, putting together your LinkedIn profile, putting together a resume, if you need uh, access to LinkedIn premium, like any way I can leverage my position at LinkedIn to be supportive, I am, but also just like listening to people. I know that, you know, my folks, uh, I grew up with a single mother, I help support her. She's being affected by everything going on. I have cousins, family all, all over the world dealing with this. So I think, yes, uh, it's important to help, but also just remember that you need to take care of yourself too. So put on your own life jacket and then help others. Um, and then helping small businesses. I think, honestly, if you can afford it, just like keep paying them somehow. So I send my barber $50 every two weeks, regardless if I'm going to see him now. I am still ordering from my favorite restaurants. Anything like that, I think is helpful. Yeah, I, I think I would probably say we're not in a situation to be charging people. So, you know, I think there, if there is a project that you guys really want to roll your sleeves up on pro bono wise to start kind of expanding that portfolio and doing good, I think this is the moment to do it. Now that we're at a situation where we are not physically going to businesses or patronizing those businesses, it's more important for these companies to go online. Uh, so if there's a way that you can get them access to people, uh, whether it be through like a DoorDash, whether they're providing, you know, great knowledge and it's basically on bookshelves, maybe you can actually help them digitize that. That would probably be maybe a first look, but I mean, at a bare minimum, go to those shops, purchase it, 
you know, in my neighborhood, I know a couple owners of the store. So even just stopping in and saying hi and supporting and say, hey, you know, we're all going through this together, um, I think goes a long way. That is at a minimum that we can do that we can deliver some instant value or at least attempt to, right? One of the things that I love about having things move online is that you can actually start to track it, see if there is more traffic expanding to that business, right? Because obviously we know from a physical sense, there's there's not going to be any for, for a, a period of time. So yeah, I think there's a lot of great case studies online where designers are working with sort of like these hypothetical businesses. This is your opportunity to really like roll your sleeves up and, and get in it. All right. Have one here. Um, I'm currently three months into my first UX role after transitioning from marketing. Uh, same experience here. So I know what you're going through. However, my manager doesn't have any true UX experience. And I'm worried that will hinder my growth so early in my career. How do you, I go about finding a UX mentor? You want to start that one? Maybe that second part there. Yeah. Yeah. Sure thing. So I would say, you know, I think there's, when you're early in your career, I think it's really important to do the work. I would say one of the things that just managing a team, what I generally am going to see with associate level designers or folks that are transitioning into a new career, really getting into the practice, right? Really getting involved in, you know, your specking of files, understanding design methodologies, understanding, you know, basic research methodologies, right? Those are things that are within your control that will help you develop as a UX designer. And I would, I would tend to focus on that. When you start maybe within like a year or two and you start to kind of understand where your strengths or weaknesses are, you should start engaging in those conversations with your manager, right? Because just because they don't have user experience background, they can still put you in positions to help support that growth. So don't give up on just moving to a new job, like figure out in the current circumstance, especially now, since there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, there actually may not be as many opportunities to transition. So leverage the situation that you're in right now to your best capability. Um, and if there's no sort of avail there, then I think it'd be uh, advantageous to potentially look at new roles. But again, there are tons of, you know, there's tons of content online to help you level up. I think LinkedIn Live or excuse me, LinkedIn Learning is a great uh, resource and we'll touch on that a little bit later. But, you know, especially now, again, it's a new world when it comes to social distancing, you know, connecting on LinkedIn is going to be huge. Attending webinars like this is also going to be huge. I think there's a lot of great groups on Facebook as well as LinkedIn that you can start to join and, or Slack groups. Twitter is crazy. I mean, I think it's a matter of finding the right hashtags, but I mean, there are people putting out a lot of great gems um, that you can just take in and move with you. I wouldn't rush on the mentorship piece. I think there's a lot of, lot of resources out there. And when it comes to career, I actually think like as you're moving further down your career, it'll be important to start thinking about, do you have any sponsors, right? Because um, those, those folks will actually advocate for you and help you uh, get the new opportunities. One thing I'll just also add on there, there's so many, to Harrison's point, there's so many resources out there where you can gain that like tactical knowledge of UX, but like mentorship or just like connecting with people, I, you can just message people on LinkedIn, Harrison mentioned like over email, just ask them, hey, I'm interested in UX or I'm a, a new UX uh, designer, researcher. I'd love to just like pick your brain, like learn about your experience. And I respond to almost every person that reaches out. I think you'd be surprised that like some people that maybe don't seem accessible that actually are. 
just, you know, don't make it too big of an ask. Don't ask right at the gate, will you be my mentor? Just ask for some advice and see where it goes. Yeah. yeah. All right. What are your views on cover letters and their impact when applying to UX jobs? What would be crucial to include and what is more trivial? I can't tell you the last time I've looked at a cover letter, <laughs> but, you know, that's not to discourage the cover letter. I think, you know, when it comes to larger organizations and working with recruiters, they'll likely want to see a cover letter just to qualify you to get you in the pipeline. So it's really a case by case basis. What I would look at is actually your your portfolio on LinkedIn. Make it make it easy, right? Have a link on your profile. Take me to your website. Uh, I'd love to see a case study. I just want to know how you're thinking about design, and I want to know what your process is, especially when you're early in your career. Just seeing the final product is not what I'm looking for. I want to understand if you get the basic concepts. I know from there where I can also apply coaching to help make you better in your approach. That's not only going to benefit the work that you're doing for our organization, but for your career in in the long term. Yeah. The only thing I would add there. So I work on our enterprise team. I study recruiters. Like that's my job. And recruiters at certain companies will be getting hundreds, if not thousands of applicants for roles at other companies will be a lot less. But remember that the person on the other end is still a human. So when you're writing a cover letter, have it be professional and everything, but like show your personality, maybe tell a joke, like an appropriate joke, something that makes you like stand out. And I think recruiters appreciate that because they're reading the same things over and over and over again all day long. Yeah. I think, I think Noah would write a song. Yeah, I'd, I'd, write, I'd write a song. That's funny. I did that when I was in college for <laughs> a professor. And not for, when I was in college, and I was like, I, it was, I had an A minus, and I was like, can you just bump it up to an A? I wrote you this song, and I didn't get a re- response. So maybe don't <laughs> write a song. That's funny. All right, here we have one from Serena. How do you set expectations when starting a position at a company that isn't known for having a remote culture, but is open to it? That's, that, that's, that's tough. I, you know, every company is different. And I think there's a level of having like those tough conversations. So I would, my thing would be just engage that conversation with your manager. It doesn't need to be a hundred percent put together. But like I said, like, I think there, if you don't have that conversation or if you're waiting to put together a perfect presentation, I don't think you're ever going to do it. Just start the conversation. The manager will guide you on potential things that he wants to see so he can advocate for it. I, I would say for me as a manager, uh, early in my career, I was very, I was all about like everyone being in the same office. And my, my perspective on that changed quite a bit because ultimately how people come to work affects the work that they do. And comes to work-life balance and happiness, that plays a really big role because if someone's not happy, they're going to leave. And it's, it just sucks. Like when you're building a relationship, when you invested so much time in someone's success that they leave because the company just doesn't work out for them, whether it be from a commute perspective, whether it be from a community perspective, right? I think right now we're seeing that it's really hard for us to relocate people to the Bay Area because it's so expensive. Commutes are crazy long. And, you know, we miss out on a lot of people because of that. With my team, we're remote now. Even before we're all working from home, 
uh, having a team in San Francisco and New York, I wasn't able to actually be with them at the same time in the office. We are now at a point where we have Zoom, we have BlueJeans, we have Slack, we have Teams, we have Figma. You know, we have so many tools nowadays where I think it could actually help drive that pitch even more, right? Because you're, you're able to actually show up for every meeting on time. You don't have to worry about a commute. Figma is a great tool to be able to not only collaborate with other designers, but also bring other people to the fold. You know, I can't even forget about Google Docs, right? Majority of the people in your organization are likely doing something like that. So I think the time is, is more relevant now than ever, just because the infrastructure is there. But I would just engage on having that conversation with your manager, first and foremost, and just sort of outline what that means for you. If they value you, I would hope that they want you to continue working for them and they will invest in you. Yeah, the only thing I'll add on, this is a continuation to Harrison's point, just over-communicate, like communicate with all your stakeholders, your managers. If you're working remote, somebody said, you're not communicating too much until somebody tells you you're communicating too much. So like, unless somebody's being like, you're good, I don't need to know this, I don't think it'll hurt to send updates. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next question. I discovered a UX design class on Sketch during my senior year, and I was upset because it was a bit too late. However, now I'm working as a researcher. All right. And want to transition back to design because it's my true passion. How do I get that one person to see past my junior level? Okay. To make the transition happen. Hmm. Yeah. So Harrison, as a manager, I feel like you're best position maybe to, I don't know if you've ever evaluated researchers before transitioning into design. I don't think it's ever too late to be a designer, by the way. This transition from Sketch to Figma reminds me of when we went from Dropbox and Photoshop to Sketch and InVision. So, you know, the tool does not make you the designer, right? It's all about the foundations and principles. That's always going to stay a constant but we're going to see so many different tools evolve over time. So just keep that in mind. It's never too late. You know, I, I would say one of the things that I've, I've valued a lot about, like our researchers that have transitioned in the UX is the fact that they have a ton of research fundamentals and perspective that they can bring to the team. When we talk about like building diverse teams, it's people that are coming from different professional backgrounds that have, you know, different core company skills that are going to bring value and level up everybody else, right? And so in a sense, you actually have an advantage. It's just a matter of how would you apply it. Um, But if you can bring that research lens to your researchers, excuse me, to your designers, uh, and vice versa, if you can bring that design lens to your researchers, you're giving them another perspective that they may not have had before. Yeah, I agree. That that is 100% a superpower. Like good design requires good research. Like you need to be asking the right questions throughout the entire design process and like really understand who you're designing for and building for. Um, I think it'll be a strength, but uh, any transition's hard. Just like keep connecting with people, asking people questions. And I think over time that it'll fall into place. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Uh, I'm a huge believer in building relationships. What do you look for in messages, connection requests from new people? What would you, what would make you uh, want to respond to them? Uh, I, I can just start this one out. I get uh, messages a lot from people on LinkedIn that I don't know. I, I usually will reply to most of them, but the ones that make me smile or make me particularly happy are just folks who have looked at my profile 
and have found something that they also connect with or that a shared interest. I, I list out so much information on my LinkedIn profile. So it just shows that you took the time to like understand who you're, who you're reaching out to um, and that I'm somebody that you actually want to talk to and it's not just my title or where I work. But yeah, that's, that's been helpful. What about for you, Harrison? Anything there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the more personalized it gets, the better. Um, yeah. I, I receive quite a few, um, more than a few messages that kind of feel a bit more robotic. Be explicit in terms of what you're asking for, too. That helps. Yeah. And also, you know, don't ask for like job references off the bat because if I don't know you, it's just hard for me to vouch for you. Like, really kind of build a relationship. And, and it's okay. Again, like, to be fully transparent, it's okay to say, hey, I would love a job reference, but let's connect on something else, right? Because at least I know that that's what your intentions are ultimately. <laughs> and, you know, just, just be real. That, that helps quite a bit. We're doing a lot more online stuff now, but, you know, design communities is not that large. No and I actually participated in an event last November, and there's been subsequent events around the Bay Area, and I've seen a lot of the same people. So even just participating and being there is huge because it just shows how driven you are. It shows that, you know, you're really into building those relationships. You're really into learning and you've, you've just have that drive. I think that's what really connects more than anything. I think it's very easy to just connect and sit back. Right. But how much yeah. do you really want it? I think medium's great. Like I love when people connect with me and I can look them. I always do kind of like a reverse lookup. So if they're really being active, if they're really showing that that growth, even if we don't have anything of value, like I'm going to support you 100%, right? And that's what I that's what I really like to see, just like that growth and just keeping that 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 line open. Yeah, I think folks just want to see that you're investing in yourself and you're serious. Like everybody had help to get where they are today. I had so much help. Harrison had help. We want to be able to give back, but to folks who are willing to help themselves. Okay. Uh, chefs are great. Chefs are great. Uh, Noah, when building out a platform, in this case, a services platform, which requires admin control and settings preferences behind managing activity on the platform, what is the best way of thinking about UX for customers and internal admin panel UX management? These are linked and can become complex. Oh boy, they definitely can become complex. So I mentioned I work on our enterprise product the LinkedIn recruiter platform really, it's a whole amalgamation of services and products. It includes our recruiter product that recruiters use, our talent hub product, which is an applicant tracking system to help you manage candidates through a hiring uh, pipeline in different stages. It includes our recruiter light product. It includes LinkedIn talent insights, LinkedIn media and brands, when you have all these things working together, it can get very complex. And to your point, there are lots of different types of users and they're going to have different needs. So at designing with those different needs in mind takes definitely like a, a systems thinking approach to building products. And you have to be very collaborative and cross-functional. But most importantly, I think you need to invest in research, like understand what the needs are of your different types of users, customers, and what their problems are, how you're going to be designing for them. But start with the problem first before solutioning and really test your ideas along the way. Like bring 
your the user and your customers in for that journey before you decide to launch something. And I would also say though, like there are going to be design constraints. You need to prioritize some folks over other folks in the beginning. Try as much as possible to get like the bare minimum. Uh, get it to a point where it's it's usable, functional, and people can understand where it is, even if it doesn't have all the features that you know certain customer types, user types are requesting. But yeah, so there's a lot of complexity there, and this could be its own webinar. Uh, I'd say, but that's just like sort of my short, short answer. Yeah, yeah, and generally when we're hopefully you know this, this is getting recorded, but when it comes to admin work, especially early in a product, I would actually probably focus less on the, all the bells and whistles on the admin side. Uh, what can you do from an MVP perspective to just enable them? And usually with admins, as your early adopters, there will be a higher level of support. So maybe not everything requires like a user interface. But again, to, to Noah's point, this could actually be its own webinar because yep. we don't want to get into too many of the technical details. All right, this next question here. I'm a senior design student with one internship and a UX portfolio with positive feedback from other designers. It seems like I'm doing everything right, including a solid LinkedIn profile, uh, but I've struggled to get any interviews. Yeah, okay. Um, definitely deploying patience and empathy. I was wondering what more can you suggest I do? But I think we've all been there. Harrison, you want to tackle yeah. that one first? Yeah, for sure. So I think this goes to the previous uh, question we had around the messaging people and building relationships. I, I think unless you're in order in order to really seize opportunity you got to be prepared right and sometimes you just don't know when that opportunity is going to come it does require patience but when that opportunity knocks you'll have everything ready right and and, and with that being said you're going to have more opportunities with the more relationships that you build obviously hiring cycles are moving at different paces we're in a different world right now where you know we're, we're kind of uncertain about the future get into enabling some of those small businesses, even as a side project, you know, build more relationships over time. There are things that are going to come out. I think one of the things that I always see is when you ask people how they got a job, specifically around, uh, you know, UX and technology, it's because of a relationship, because of somebody that they knew. Um, so really continue to grow your relationship, your network, build a diverse network, right? Because you never know what's going to come down the pipeline. So I would just kind of key in on that. I don't know if you have anything else, Noah. Yeah. I would say, to my point earlier, like in your outreach and your cover letters, your resumes, like keep it human too. Remember that there are people at the other end of this thing that are reading your your applications um, and they want to see that you have a personality and uh, in addition to your skills. And something else I would add yeah, so when I graduated from college, no big tech company would touch me. Like, I applied to Google, I applied to a whole bunch of places, and I either didn't have the right skills or it, it was so competitive that I just wasn't viewed as an applicant that was, like, ready for the position or something that they wanted, right? And that's what led me to working at startups. I learned a lot through that experience, but so I, I would just say, like, it depends on where you're applying to. Like maybe if you're only focusing on one type of company, um, maybe broaden the companies you're applying to. And then last thing I'll say, reflecting Harrison's point, relationships matter. Every job I've gotten in my entire life has been through somebody I knew. 
like somebody I went to college with, somebody I met professionally. And some of those connections started years previously. Like I, I, I meet somebody at a conference like three years ago, down the line, they're working at a company I'm interested in. We connect or we've, you know, we've stayed in touch over the years and they'll refer me. That has pretty much been like the, the story of my professional career. So relationships and be human. Yeah. All right. All so right. We've, got, we've got one more question. We still have about 12 or 10 more minutes left. So add any more uh, remaining questions that you have before we wrap up the time. All right. Um, this one comes from Anna or uh, Anna. Are there any lessons you learned through your, your careers about performing user interviews slash testing that you would be able to share? You can take that first, Noah. Yeah, definitely. So I would say two things. One, have a plan. Great research starts long before you're conducting interviews or sessions um, or uh, fielding surveys. Um, really know what the question is you're trying to answer, like what the problem is and the methodology you're using to solve it, and that it's the right methodology to answer those questions. I think a lot of people are like, let's just throw a survey out there and get and get feedback, but you can't really go in depth with a survey. There are a lot of things that you're not gonna get out of a survey that you would get in like an in-depth interview um, and vice versa. So know the problem, know the methodology, and have a plan, like put together your questions in advance, rehearse, the interview, if you're doing a one-on-one interview, practice on somebody else, do a trial run. I always will recruit one or two people to do trial runs before I start my sessions. Engage your stakeholders along the way. Like really make it a collaborative process before you get to the actual research. And then second thing, when you're conducting research, um, whether it's field research, ethnography, one-on-one interviews, uh, focus groups, like have that structured plan in place, the interview questions, um, a guide for what you're hoping to get out of it, but allow yourself to be fluid in the process while you're conducting research. If there's an insight that somebody says that you're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And I didn't account for that in my discussion guide, dig in a little bit there and you'll have memorized and sort of internalized your research plan to the extent that you can improvise along with it, right? So if you get off course to, to try and find some interesting nugget uh, of insight, you can get back to um, the guide easily. Um, so yeah, have a plan, keep it structured, but also be willing to deviate from that plan and structure if you're getting some interesting insights and findings out of something that you didn't predict, you didn't uh, acknowledge in advance. That's what I'd say. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm a little bit more scrappy in the research sense because I'm coming from the design perspective, right? You know, a lot of times we may not actually have a full, uh, you know, super experienced researcher like Noah. And, you know, one of the things that I've always kind of seen is that research can be intimidating for designers to conduct. You know, are you being resourceful? Like sometimes you may not be able to have, you know, a ton of like foundational research. You know, you may not be great at writing surveys, actually just having something to inform your work, I think is really yeah. important. And getting into the practice of extending yourself and feeling uncomfortable is a great way to just start. As I mentioned, there's something around just doing it. And then when you finally look at resources around it, you sort of understand things that you can do better. And it just becomes a progressive improvement over time. So be willing to get scrappy. Every, every, every project that you have is going to be under a different circumstance. Understand which methodologies to apply, right? Because a survey may not necessarily be the great 
are the best way to approach usability testing, right? So just understand like the differences. And again, this could probably be its own webinar. And yeah, maybe Noah will do that at some point. So the last thing I'll just add here is follow on to your point, Harrison. You might not have time to do foundational research. If you're at a startup, you're like uh, a one-person research team. You can add on some foundational research questions to every user testing study yeah. you do. Like, and over time, you can build out that foundational knowledge. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. Susan, when you're so these are our last few questions. So, when you're looking for jobs, how do you get an idea of the culture and managing style? For example, it's very important for me to have a manager who will genuinely care about me as a person and who will be there for my growth. Our current team is very split and there seems to be no team aspect. Oh, yeah. So uh, I guess, so it's also important for me. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say having a manager that, you know, will generally care about you should be, I would hope like a baseline goal for everybody, but it's definitely not always the case. When I'm looking for jobs, I'm looking for, individuals that I know are going to invest in my professional growth and who are going to be there for me. Like you can work at a company that's going through rough times or difficult transitions or is like generally maybe doesn't have the same brand recognition as another company. But if you have a great team and a great manager, like it makes it worth it. And then if you're at a company that is like on top and everybody would die to work for, but your manager's horrible and you hate your team, then your life is going to be bad. Like you're not going to have a fun time and you're going to end up leaving. So I would just always optimize for managers, individuals, and teams that are going to invest in you professionally, help you gain skills that you're looking for, and that will take you to the next level, regardless of what the brand or the company is. Yeah, I, I think, you know, really kind of keying on a manager, I think things about investing in your growth, right? Uh, transformative type work. Those are the words that you generally would like to hear from your manager. It's a little bit harder to gauge. You know, I would say, I mean, LinkedIn is a, is a great company. Uh, so I think there's some great leadership there. And I think like it, it's kind of hard for us to sometimes to be, you know, more, more objective in this answer. But I think like it starts from the top, right? Company culture is by its leader. I think there is such a thing as a cult of personality. You know, you just, you hear stories about, how companies generally tend to act like their leadership. And so really just kind of investigating these companies, you know, if there's any video on the, the leaders and the leadership on YouTube or Facebook, we have more resources on reviews when it comes to Glassdoor. Those are great uh, resources to just kind of dive in a little bit deeper. And I'm going to bring back the LinkedIn situation, connect with somebody who works at that company, ask them like, what is your experience been like? I believe on LinkedIn, like when a recruiter posts a job, even ask, ask your recruiter, like, hey, can I talk to the manager? Um, can, I get, can I talk to some employees? They'll more than likely do that for you because their objective is to get you on board. And so they're going to set you up with the resources to help you make a more informed decision before you sign that paper. Awesome. So this next one here, during the hiring process, what are you looking for during whiteboard and or take-home design challenges? I imagine that's, yeah, that one's for you, Harrison. It's same, same sort of situation, like uh, we're looking for just fundamental design understanding, fundamental research application. I think another piece, an extra bonus or superpower is understanding the audience that you're solving for. I think a lot of times, like it's very easy to talk to user experience in general terms. We're not looking for that. I want to understand, do you fundamentally understand how it's applied? 
and just walk through uh, your process. That for me is actually more important than what the final answer is. So, and if there's a situation where you need to do research, just outline like I would conduct research here. All right. We don't expect you to be an expert on every single point. Please be upfront, be communicative, be transparent. That's my number one piece of advice. All right. A couple more. Let's run through these fast. Uh, What are your guys' take on the degrees of generalizing versus specializing when it comes to designing? It really does seem to depend on the company and the dynamics of the team. But just curious what your thoughts and maybe any specific tips for designers who are just starting their career. I think this is also one for you. Yeah, generalize. That, that's especially now that we are potentially going through a downturn, there'll probably be less emphasis on uh, you know, specialized roles. Um, you'll you'll generally see as companies are larger and more advanced, you will see specialization. But I think for majority of the roles, at least I think for LinkedIn, we're looking for generalization. You know, our designers are working with our researchers early in the project. They're working with our product managers and engineers. They're doing some of the testing, some of the programmatic testing themselves. You know, we expect them to understand how to mock in high fidelity, have, you know, have a proficiency in using tools like Sketch and Figma, prototyping when needed, right, to provide clarity. Um, there may be some opportunities to partner with other designers, but you should be able to execute on every single piece of that process. If you're not, if you don't feel confident around it, and if there is a weakness, guess what? For me as a manager, that's great. Communicate that to me. I can coach you. I want to make you better um, because, again, uh, we we all move forward, you know, and I want to see your growth and confidence. I'd say the same is true for research as well. As, as much as you can be a mixed methods researcher, be comfortable with qualitative and quantitative aspects of research, the more employable you're going to be uh, and your ability to add value um, at every stage of the design process will be increased. Um, but to Harrison's point, not everybody starts out that way. And when I started at LinkedIn, I had qualitative research experience, not a lot of quantitative, but I voiced that to my manager. I was like, this is something I want in my toolkit. And we found ways in which I could sort of leverage that and learn, learn it. I, I reach out to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people to get that advice. And then I also take online classes and continuing education classes at UC Berkeley, um, some great classes there. Yeah. All right. So we're at the last question, uh, and I think it's it's a great question and and timely. So this is awesome. We'll be doing more of these. Thanks, Ben. Uh, yeah, I like this was like really a last minute thing that I decided to do. I think like less than less than twenty four hours ago, and just seeing you guys participate and looking at these great questions, I think there's a lot of opportunity to, to hold more of these. So definitely be on the lookout for this. Uh, especially as we're home for an extended period of time, right? We'll probably do more things that are specifically themed, but I think like in terms of just like career growth, I think there, there, there's a lot there. I think we're going through a lot of uncertainty. So having these conversations during this time of just like, or during this fluid time, you know, I think we'll, we'll definitely add a layer to this uh, that we, that's pretty unpredictable. Yeah. And I just say, feel free to reach out to either Harrison or myself. I'm happy to continue the conversation. And if there are other topics you're interested in hearing from us about, or maybe other members of our team or folks in the UX community, we can leverage. We're happy to bring those to you. Yeah. And before we wrap up, we'll wrap up here within the next minute, but uh, we've got a surprise. So um, I don't know, Noah, we can probably give away two, but for the folks that attend the call, we can give away 
um, you know, uh, the two folks that are on the call, uh, we're going to select them randomly. Uh, we're going to give you guys six months of LinkedIn premium. So that allows you to get access to all the content on LinkedIn learning. It'll allow you to shoot emails. And there's some really great, uh, you know, premium features, especially looking at where you would, if there was a job that you're interested in, to receive notifications, but also see exactly where you fit in terms of qualification and potentially to get that job. So uh, again, for the folks that are in transition, transitional part of their careers, I think this will provide a lot of value. Um, so be on the lookout for that. I have all your emails. Yeah, that's it. Thank you for, for joining. Thanks, everyone. I'll send, I'll send out an email afterwards. We will have a recording where you guys can, can look through this. I'll probably do an abbreviated version on LinkedIn, Twitter, or whatever network is out there. But hopefully we, we, we gave you guys a lot of value. All right. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow or connect on LinkedIn, Medium, Twitter, or Spotify.